are recording. Sorry about the delay. Awesome. It's been a crazy morning so far. How are you doing, Kit? It's all good. It's all good, Dante. It's nice to be able to chat with you. Yeah, man. Where are you at today? Where are you in the world? I am in beautiful Princeton, New Jersey, which is a little oh, college cool. town uh, about 45 miles south of New York. Are you from there? Are you born and raised there? No, uh, I moved here about five years ago with my partner. Um, she works at the university, so we, we live here, and it's actually really cool. Cool. How got long good record good record store, Princeton Record Exchange, good used record store. Really? Uh, yeah, I man, think, yeah. It's, I think that's the beauty of living near college, I guess, right? Like, there's still that, like, need for art, like, when you're young and excited, like, I think when you move to, like, a uh, vacation town, like I live in, like, Santa Barbara, it's just kind of like, or yeah, the arts, what about the arts, you know? Oh, no, but I love Santa Barbara, man. Like, I've, I've been there. You have, like, pomegranates growing on the tree at Christmas time. I, totally. <laughs> I, I thought it's, like, a, it's a big joke uh, that's played on the rest of the country that no one, like, people don't all live in Santa Barbara. I was like, <laughs> wait a second. I'm going to the beach. I'm looking at lemons growing on people's trees in their front yard. And totally. it's December 28th. You know? <laughs> I'm like, joke's on me, man, here in New Jersey. Oh, I'm shoveling. Oh, my. <laughs> ah, that's wild, man. Yeah, so uh so you you've always been from the East Coast. You're an East you're the East Coast boy. Yeah, man. I I grew up in sort of the Philadelphia suburbs area, but then I, I went out to school in uh Portland, Oregon, uh when I was eighteen and stayed out there a little after that too. So for about seven years I lived out in the northwest and I really it was a pretty uh cool time of my life because I just there was like a real music scene there and yeah. I just got to learn so much about sort of different kinds of bands, different kinds of people, different kinds of art art communities and stuff living out there when I did. And I, it really, even though I grew up on the East Coast, I feel like that experience shaped me a lot in terms of uh, that time of my life and the kind of music and like aesthetic that I, that I like, you know? Yeah. Could you give us some insight to the different vibes between Philadelphia and Portland? I feel like they're kind of similar. But maybe sure, I think... I think Philadelphia is really rad now and there's so much going on. And, and there probably was when I was a kid too. I was just too young to access it. You know, totally. there's like, you know, when you're like a teenager and you're just kind of going to like hardcore and punk shows and like right. church basements and stuff. Totally. You're like, you're like, oh, this is this is pretty cool. Yeah. But then I think as I went out to uh, Portland, there's just like a, a, a DIY music scene that wasn't rooted purely in uh, like hardcore and punk. You know, it was like yeah. it was a different kind of music, but still had the same sort of values that I liked. I, I always liked the the uh, the politics of the values of that scene, but sort of it with hardcore, eh, it's not like I, I didn't love it, but it's not like I didn't like it, but it wasn't, it didn't speak to me the same way as when I was starting to hear like uh, indie pop bands and, and things yeah. like that out in Portland. There's this group called uh, Dear Nora that was really uh, cool and they would play, you know, all the time at just house shows and yeah. Um, not being 21, all I could really go to was house shows, basement shows, that kind of thing. And uh, seeing them, seeing like just sort of a, a community of bands that toured through there. Like uh, this is a long time ago. So I know they're like, totally. bigger now. Like, like like Mates of State or like the Luxmiths, these are Eilers set, like a lot of sort of like indie, indie pop, like sort of, um, you know, sort of people playing three minute songs, uh, but sort of with the politics and um, kind of like DIY attitudes of you know that that punk scene that i knew in high school more so what what are we thinking 2000 is this 2008 
Oh man, this is like 2001. I went to school. Oh. I, I was out there like 98 to 2005. So oh, like that really? was. Oh, cool. So I'm, I'm older. So it's uh, I I kind of saw. I, I lived in Portland before they cared so much about food, you know? Right, kind of like right, the, right. Before, like, before the hottest new band was actually a restaurant or something like yeah, that. Totally, yeah, totally, totally. The, the oh, vibes okay. changed around a little bit, but it's still it's, it's still a great place. And I, I think it's almost like the, it's almost like a regional New York. You know, a lot of people move from uh, other parts of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, like the rest of Oregon can be kind of conservative and uh, not so accepting. So people that grow up right. maybe like in Eastern Oregon, or Eastern Washington or whatever, they kind of move, move to Portland to meet like-minded people and play music and kind of be in a more you know, supportive environment, I think. Yeah, I definitely, I, I didn't even, you know, you kind of see the country through touring, right? And so I'd never even, it's hard to say I never knew about East Oregon, but I didn't really catch the vibe of East Oregon until I drove through. Like you're trying to head to Boise, you know? So you have to drive <laughs> yeah, through yeah. it. So you're just like, oh, there's like, this is like the country out here. It's, it's pretty wild. Because you think it's, it's all it's, like Portland. It's, it's all like Eugene. It's all, you know, it's all like the city. No, but no, it's, not. it's, it's uh, it, it, and back then I think it was even, I don't want to say worse. Like I'm not putting value judgments on people's lives, but right. like, there would be these ballot initiatives on like Oregon had this sort of direct democracy ballot initiative thing, which sounds like a good idea, but you know, they, they'd put these like ballot initiatives that were just like horrible and you'd have to sort of uh, organize concerts against them. It would be like proposition eight. Should people that are homosexual be stoned to death? And sh- it's, it's like, yeah, like, shit yeah, like that. Like so you're like, it's like, like crazy, like kind of super uh, regressive, like right wing kind of ideas. And, um, I just I remember putting on like uh, benefit shows in Portland to sort of like raise money against against that kind of stuff. So there, there wow. was this kind of push and pull between, you know, Portland, which is a, a fairly progressive city. I'm not saying it doesn't have problems or nothing like that. Right. But, right. But then and also this like really uh, sort of regressive politics of the more rural parts of the state. And um, I don't I don't know if this, that dynamic persists to this day, because I think uh, Oregon at this point is the demographics are such that I think it's not even. Uh, it's a fairly uh, left-leaning state in general. I think. Yeah, even, all like all drugs all are are decriminalized. Yeah, that's great. That's, <laughs> that's great. That's, that's crazy. It's amazing. Like, it's. I'm not it's, speaking uh, from any self-interest here. I'm just saying it's like it's a good thing for society. It's a good thing for society. <laughs> it's like you know why waste a, a jail bed like on someone who just had a small crime? Like these are small crimes in my eyes. Like I don't know. Yeah, it's people. Crazy. I mean, people. People using drugs are, are only if, if they're hurting anyone, it's only like themselves. So I don't yeah. I don't see how how you know it's anyone's business to like put the and it doesn't help them to help anyone to go to jail. It just like destroys your yeah. life to get in the system, like the criminal record. We see we've seen it talked about it a lot, like how uh enforcement of drug laws is it is not even like equal enforcement. It's like totally you know, it's used to target people, communities of color, people that are like socially disadvantaged. So it's not it's not like even like it's a fair shake for everyone. It's those laws were being used in uh, sort of specific ways to keep certain people down. So, um, so I'm, I'm glad that they, they're taking that initiative and, and doing that at the state level. And I, and I just hope more of the country can follow suit and like that and, and all that, you know? Yeah. And that whole theory of, like, we got, we got legal weed in New Jersey, by the way, just heads up. <laughs> that like just we, happened, right? We've that gotten just, that that's far. New? We haven't gotten to the Portland level yet though. Yeah. That's the true. Organ- yeah, that's new. I I think I saw something like that. New York just legalized uh, marijuana too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's a lot of places on the East Coast now. It's like Massachusetts has it legal. Like you know, I think uh, D.C. 
uh, it's legal, even if it's not like retail kind of style. Mm. And, and New Jersey legalized it this last election too, even though there's we don't have stores yet. Um, the, a lot of that stuff has to be figured out, of course. Um, yeah, but it yeah. seems like the general trend is that even even kind of. I think even some pretty conservative places have been legalizing it now too, because it seems the one issue that like everyone can agree on or <laughs> something like that. You know, it's like yeah. even even like people in Oklahoma kind of uh, are fine with are fine with weed. So uh, yeah, it's um, crazy. Hopefully, hopefully it'll it'll be legalized and no one will have to worry about like getting busted by the cops for like having some you know weed in their pocket or something like that. I, gra- so I graduated good. high school in two thousand eight. And I remember that was like the big talk, like, will they ever do it? Will they ever legalize Whedon? And uh, it's pretty wild that we're finally here and it's starting to happen everywhere. And uh, I remember it was like a big thing on tour, too. Like, oh, don't don't bring weed to Nevada, Texas, like like all these certain states. Like and uh, yeah. It's pretty wild. I don't really smoke. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, they, it, they would it, have it, these like they'd have these border stops when you Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not it's not even like my personal interest, but there'd be these like border stops in the middle of texas it wouldn't even be like at the border it was like border policing policing the entire state which seems you know fucked up yeah but like it would just be like they'd stop the van and they'd like search it like no reason like it's no just reason. like they see a van they see people in it and it's like, it seems like it seems like uh kind of against the the spirit of um what the laws should be but yeah california you guys have had it for a while i, I remember having some bandmates with some serious glaucoma issues that were diagnosed um, from california yeah, it was always, it was, it was always <laughs> the glaucoma. i don't want out anyone but there was yeah, i was like man you're yeah. only 28 how are you suffering from glaucoma so I, it wasn't that but it was like it was sort of like a yeah, yeah, yeah. that was like the was move like, for a while it was like the bad back the bad knees the glaucoma like yeah that was that was the move for many many years in california yeah and, yeah, and, so and, now at least people can be a little more honest about it. And that Texas thing is still real, man. I, I last time I toured Texas was 2019. Same thing. Hey, wh- who's in the car? What are you doing here? Where are you going? It's like I'm driving in the United States. Like, why am I being? I'm not yeah, crossing man. the border into a new country. I'm just crossing through your state, and I'm getting interrogated now. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like kind of the whole. I mean, it's like the the whole point of like uh, having a freeway. A, you know, <laughs> <laughs> a free a freeway yeah no, um, a freeway or a or a highway yeah <laughs> right <laughs> but um so yeah, yeah yeah so um yeah going on tours it's 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 um yeah so things have changed a lot in the, in, a, in a pretty short period of time which kind of shows i mean it's, it's sort of cynically like yeah, i i understand like the impetus for legalization isn't always about uh like you know social justice or like treating right. people the right way sometimes it's it's kind of been motivated by money you know it's like yeah like you guys you guys like you have like big like sort of business interests kind of seeing it as a, a way to make money and i mean i guess that's the world we live in and, and that 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 does things too but um but yeah like when like you know john boehner like these like very conservative uh or erstwhile like conservative uh politicians are, are getting behind legal weed you know that it's like the it's gonna be everywhere pretty soon do you think uh you know indie rock music in general is one of the only <laughs> industries that's not driven by money. You know what I mean? Well, like, I'd like to, th- on I'd, the artist I'd, I'd like level. to think that I think about that all the time, man. I, I think about on some level, like, yeah, man, I was like watching, I was watching like that show Atlanta and like, there's like some line that Paperboy says where he's just like, <laughs> there ain't any money anywhere near rap. Like this, yeah. like the reality of like what people think, that world is and what like the normal person participating in and it experiences it's just like such a discrepancy and um 
I mean, I always think about it this way. It's like, imagine like five people, how much money they'd have to make to live in like Brooklyn for a year. And that would have to just be like the net profit of like a band. And, and you right. think like no band is really, I mean, there might be some, like some really big kind of stuff, which is like all fine. But most, most bands you see are doing it uh, because they love doing it and because yeah. they want to do it. And they're, they're not, motivated by it as like i'm i'm playing music because it's I, you could make more money working at at a at, at 7-eleven you know it's like right. yeah when it when it comes down to it, like the motivation why so many people want to do this is just uh it's probably different for different people but just uh i mean for me i just i just have this compulsion to do it <laughs> i've always right. i've always like the thing i've always loved doing most in life is like being in my room just playing guitar writing songs and and the chance to even participate in 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 the quote-unquote real world where you get to go play a show and people might come to the show and it's you get to go on tour and that stuff that even was like a pipe dream for me up to I was like 27 28 you know I was right. playing in bands that never played shows outside of like our to our eight friends in the same you know someone's basement like for, for yeah. outside of our zip code you know so for a long time it wasn't even uh I wasn't doing it for for reasons other than just wanting to do it and uh and while I get it, like some, uh, it's it's been really tough. There's a lot of factors that, that you know, like things like record labels have had a really hard time, um, even indie record labels, because like it, it costs money to press vinyl and, and put it out there in the world. And uh, people people buy vinyl, it's cool, but like also there's a lot of pressures from streaming and, and people uh, rightfully, you know, want to listen to all the music of the world as easily as possible. And I don't think right. that's a bad thing. And, and we can talk about, you know, who's making money off that streaming thing. And that's like a different issue, but I don't think the general idea of having music readily accessible um, for a pretty low price to a lot of people without having to physically own a turntable and all that stuff. I don't yeah. think that's a bad thing at all, but, uh, but it, it, it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing I it for the love, even if that sounds like a cliche, it's like, it's no, what I want totally. to be doing. I don't think there's anything wrong with streaming. I, I, I think, I think the argument's more of like, how can we work it to benefit the artists more? Um, because I, I'm, I like Spotify. I have Spotify. I use Spotify, but like, I do find getting on the record player and just listening to the record. Oh, it's, it's, it's an experience you lose. It's like a, like a memory that's like, it's unlocked. You're like, oh yeah. Side one. Oh, sit with that. Flip it over. Side B. <laughs> Oh, I get it now. You know, or just listen to one of the sides over and over again because you're too yeah. lazy to flip it. Because yeah. I'm that guy too. I'll just be like, you know, the first half of Between the Buttons is really good. Yeah. I think there might be some songs on the other half. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Once I get just... to like, she smiled sweetly. We're going back to the track one. No, um, right. You're absolutely right. There is something about that experience with the physical vinyl record. Uh, but what I, I and, and that's how I make records. Like I, I could have put more songs on this record, but. I, I make records so that th this, the amount of songs can fit on like one record in like a straightforward way. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's a lot of other artists that create in different ways. Like if you're like Drake, it's like, you can put like 43 songs in your oh, record yeah. and it's, it's a streaming album and it's cool. And that's its own way of like getting your music out there. But for me, my ideal is still just like, I just want to make a, like, you know, some good songs, put them on a one record and that's, that's the experience of this music. And uh, I know that means less and less to people now. And I don't, I don't bemoan changes in how people can see things, but it still means a lot to me. So I'm going to keep doing, doing things the way I like to do them. And, and right. hopefully, you know, some people 
enjoy that as well. So you do feel and you are aware of the shift and maybe the pressure for artists to kind of start moving towards singles, like even bands, because it's already a thing in hip hop. And like, do you, yeah, do you feel that shift? Like, we're just going to start have to put singles out just like the hip hop artists, because that seems to be working and it keeps you relevant you know, and it keeps you fresh all year round. Definitely. You know, I, I, it's it's been a little hard with the pandemic, you know, like, uh, right. You know, my original, it's, it's hard to get into the studio. There's certain things with, uh, you can do a hip hop track in your house pretty right, well. Right. Like it's the the kind of setup you need to record is a little bit different. So the, the logistics allow uh, quicker turnaround times in terms right. of recording the track, getting it out there. If it's all digital, it goes so much faster. And that's cool. And I, it's, uh, it's something I think about where I'd like to just get out music a little bit more quickly. Uh, but there's a lot of factors that go into how I can record. I, totally. I have two small children right now. Oh. Um, and so so right now, I, like, you know, this last record I made, I made it in like maybe seven days, but it took three years. You know, it, was, right, it, was like, right. it either took a long time to make it or it took a really short time to make it. But it was just um, trying to find a little time uh, where, you know, uh, maybe my my mom could look after the kids for a bit. I could sneak into a studio for a day and totally. like and bang it out as fast as I could. Uh, so that's that's one factor that kind of inhibits uh, the speed of of making music. And then the second is yeah, it's like if you want to record with like a real drum set, you kind of right. need to do that in a in a studio space. And um, so yeah, so yeah, there is is there like economic pressure or isn't there? You know, it's it's one of those right. things where it's, if you're not doing this for if you're not doing this to maximize like return or profit or thinking in those terms then there really there really isn't any pressure to do things other than the way you want to do them yeah so um if you're if you're existing in a world where it's like shit i need to have like 750 million streams of this record to be a relevant artist like of this song then yeah that's like a whole different set of considerations but if you're just like i want to write some songs that i like and uh i'll get them out there when i can right uh hopefully there's still people that uh enjoy enjoy that facet of music too i think there still are i think you know, I was releasing singles leading up to the record and it felt fun. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. But there's still nothing like the excitement of the album drop. Like people are excited about the album. People share the album art. Like it doesn't, they don't have that same excitement for singles. So it's just like, oh, cool. Another song. But it's like, here's that final piece of art. The thing you've been waiting for. It's like, then I've, I've, at least I found on my last album thing, people were more excited the day of the album drop. Not the, the single drop. The mid, was it the mid? Was it the mid-century modern yeah, album? Yeah, yeah. Mid-century modern. Yeah, yeah. The album art's great too. Like it's oh, like. Oh, thanks. Also, the, there's something. There's something about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know you. It's you start to like one starts to sound like you know David Crosby or something, being like <laughs> you know, there's just something about the way we did it in 1968 yeah, that's better yeah. than the way you do it in 2021. I'm not about that, but I I myself still love that. So it's like I'm like I'm I'm trying to be. I love what I love, but I know other people love the way things happen in their own music in their own way at the same right. time. And and just and just knowing that there's all these different worlds, but they're still united by like, I mean, and even in rock, man, it's like the single was the dominant thing in the '60s. Right. It wasn't it wasn't like even you got to make an album necessarily. You'd like do a couple of singles, and it's like if they if they caught on, you might get to make a record. But that whole like making the classic album thing, that was just kind of. An historical moment in and of itself from like maybe the late 60s to the 70s and and onward and now it's kind of returning to what it once was which is a more singles driven uh a world which is mm. which is cool i mean i i 
I'm not like a super jammy person. So there's a part of me that um, even though my singles don't sound like probably what mainstream radio singles right, sound like, right. they're still rooted in that same idea. It should be about like, you know, three minutes and have a verse and a chorus and a verse and a chorus and totally. like something you remember. And it's something that's uh, uh, complete in and of itself, not just like, oh, here's an eight minute jam that you fully understand it has to be bookended by two other songs to make sense. You know, it's, it's, I like the idea of the single too. It's a, I feel like it's, that a, also, it's a cool thing. That ties into the whole nature versus nurture. Like what was the kind of music you were listening to that made you think, Oh, I like tight pop songs versus like a jam. Cause if you grew up listening to the grateful dead, maybe you would have became a different kind of artist, you know? And maybe you did grow up with the dead. Point. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I probably should have. Like, I like think about the music my mom likes. And she she probably likes the dead, too. But she's she really likes uh, she likes Leonard Cohen and David Bowie and uh, sort of that outlaw country kind of stuff. Where right. like, like Graham Parsons, like, she like really liked the sort of bad boy country music. But that was like sort of like, like Keith, you know, it's sort of like that side of things with like Keith Richards, Graham Parsons, Emmy Lou Harris. Um, that world she loved and um and then my, my stepdad was super into tom petty like to him it was like right. tom petty was like the greatest recording artist of all time right right and everything else was just kind of like degrees of separation from that so uh i grew up with a lot of classic rock and a classic kind of singer so songwriter stuff and right. i i don't you know a lot of people have like tough relationships with their parents or their mom or whatever and they kind of reject the music of the previous generation and they're like that's wrong what i'm doing is right um I would say I get along really well with my mom and I don't, and I like the music she likes. I've never had this sense of like, your music is bad. My music is yeah, like the yeah, future. Yeah. We're, we're the future, you're the past. Like, I like, I like, uh, is it, is it okay to say that I like boomer music? Yeah, <laughs> it's no, like, it's very it's like fine. The, the arts, I mean, I understand there's like a lot of levels to like understanding this, but at least in terms of like, I, I dig a lot of, you know, totally. classic rock. Like Joan Baez, like uh, singer songwriter stuff, like Joni Mitchell and and Dylan and Leonard Cohen and, and that that kind of generation of artists. Uh, so I, I I still hold them up into high esteem, even if it's, but not as a way of putting down like contemporary stuff. Just like totally. those are records that mean a lot to me, like David Bowie, you know, like uh, like T Rex and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, well, something like Leonard Cohen or, or Bob Dylan, like, did you oh did you put an emphasis on your lyrics when you first started like oh i love them i want to be a great lyricist or do i want the lyrics just to fit the melody you know uh i always i always thought like you know i'm, I'm not that great a singer uh i don't play guitar all that well mm -hmm. um but i like i like songwriting you know and i really like writing both the lyrics of the song and then the music of the song so to me, like what's always drawn me to is artists that were at their core songwriters. And I mean, Tom Petty is a good example of this. It's like his, he's not as respected maybe as Dylan or Neil Young. And he's always kind of seen as maybe like a step below in terms of stature or like I iconic stature or something, but it's just cause he came a little later. Sometimes right. it's not. And, but he, uh, he really was just a, he just never wrote bad songs. I mean, he just like had a way of writing a lot of good songs. And he had this like perspective, like you could hear one of his songs and it was kind of his like perspective on all of his songs. Like, like that song where he's like, you think you're going to take her away with your money and her, your cocaine, but she's going to listen to your, her heart. He always had this sort of like, I'm not a yuppie. I'm a mm -hmm. regular person. And what I stand for is like, maybe I'm not fancy, but like, it's good. And that kind of uh, that worldview was consistent across like almost everything he did. Like he never, 
he never really changed. He's never was like, now I'm an old resentful rock star that hates young bands. Like, I mean, there's Don't a couple lie. songs where he gets a little like, a little bit like taking some shots at the younger generation. But like for right. the most part, he's a, a really generous, has a really generous heart. And he, uh, he was like a great, a great uh, lover of the history of rock and roll. Like he was like a real, I mean, the Wilburys were like him, like getting to play with his heroes. He was playing yeah, with like totally. Roy Orbison and George Harrison and like Dylan. And they all wanted to hang with him. They weren't like, I don't know. It wasn't like he was just their like weed dealer. It was like these people who were themselves held up at the very highest level saw Tom Petty as like a worthy peer to make music with. It wasn't like right. they were like, oh, well, but it's time. They were like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's one of us. So I always loved him a lot. And I, and I think it took me later in life to actually come around to Dylan uh, as an artist other than just an idea. You know, I think right. sometimes when people become great, their own greatness gets in the way of uh, enjoying their music or, or approaching their music as just music. It's always like approaching the great man or these gatekeepers of like hi the historians and the biographers who will tell you what Dylan really meant when he was saying this or what this personal event in his life happened. And you have to understand that in order to understand this next song. And, mm -hmm. and you know, as a kid, younger, when I was younger, I just kind of, it kind of all went over my head. Or I didn't think yeah. I was, it just wasn't my thing. And I found something much more, not that you have to choose, but I found something more immediately resonant about Leonard Cohen. There was just something on that emotional level mm. that just gets you right away. Um, and I kind of, you know, I listened to Dylan, sure, and I, I liked it fine, but I never really got into it until I had it uh, about five years ago. I, my daughter was born. I was spending a lot of time at home, and I found an old uh, live recording of Bob Dylan at the Princeton Record Exchange, and I cool. like to use kind of bootleg copy with like a Xerox. I was like, yeah, I've got the most rare bootleg ever. Yeah, yeah. It was. It, it wasn't. It was like actually just like the live at Royal. It was like it turned out. I was like, oh wait, these are the same songs that are on spot on this like live album on Spotify too. You know, it's like you think you got this like real artifact or like yeah, some bootlegger yeah. put this out. It found its way into Princeton, New Jersey. It was meant to be, or you know, you can put on your you know streaming right. platform of choice yeah, and listen yeah. to the same songs. But but by listening to it without kind of without context or with a little bit of a fresh set of ears or a lot of free time you just realize that there's uh, there's just like a real irreverence and joy and uh, humor and and vitality to his songwriting, especially that late 60s era, like uh, mid to late 60s era. And um, it's not about it's not about like trying to read the Bible and trying to find the word of God. It's like it's yeah, just like, yeah. damn, this is a dude that was having fun with language and having fun singing about what he was seeing around him at a time and kind of sometimes he was a little mean sometimes he was kind of funny sometimes totally. he was kind of sweet but it was it was not just like nobel laureate you know <laughs> it's like it, you could if you could just look, listen to it as music and understand it like that it, it just it just resonated so much more with me that way than maybe when i was younger and i just could only see the um the stature of it not may, maybe right. the the thing it the thing itself the kind of tech the context around that record and who he was in that moment. And uh, I wonder if that kind of thing will ever happen again. Will people understand the context of where we were in when we made these records, you know? Um, I had like a, a music reviewer on YouTube. Not a big deal. I keep bringing this kid up, but like he's a sweet kid. I don't really know him, but he like said something about one of my albums, my past albums. It was like, oh, it's kind of cringe. It's so 2000, early 2010s. I was like, yeah, when do you think it was made? 
<laughs> it was made in the early 2010s. You don't say that about any other decade. You only associate the, the early 2010s with your youth, and maybe that's cringy, but we don't do that. Oh, it's so 70s. Ooh. Like, it's just like, yeah, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s. That's how it works. Like, it sounds like the time it's in, the context. Well, it's also funny because as an older person, like, I can't, uh, in terms of what I see signifiers of, like, I can't recognize the difference between 2012 and 2006 in the right. arts. I mean, I could tell you, like, maybe what bands were kind of big, but if you grew up in those eras, there was, like, really specific things that were signifying, like, 2000, if you were a kid, 2012 or whatever, right. what was happening then versus, like, just even six years before. But to me, I'm just like, oh, the Strokes are kind of like a contemporary <laughs> band, but that was, like, 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, it's like, or it's like, oh, yeah, Interpol. And you realize that, like, these decades have their own visual signifiers or whatever. And I was like watching the Lil Nas X video and it was like, it felt, oh, it felt like purposefully like the CGI. I mean, obviously the, the song's great. The story is great, but the visual he chose felt almost like a Hollywood blockbuster, like of sort of early 2000s or, mm. or something where it was like the CGI was almost purposefully. Um, it wasn't concealed. It was like, it was uh, the point of it itself was calling attention to the spectacle of what's possible with CGI. It wasn't just like, oh, we're trying to make this scene in Lord of the Rings more realistic looking, so yeah. we're using computers. It was, it was turning that around, being like, we're trying to, we're just showing you worlds that aren't even recognizable, right? And aren't aren't supposed to look like the world you see it. And, and it was just like this other, like sort of, and it felt like almost like a retro version of technology in some strange way because it didn't. It didn't feel exactly where the visual of 2021 is. Obviously, though, a star using that, it, it kind of creates the visual of 2021, too, I guess. Like, there's, yeah. It's all, it's all pretty, like, heady stuff if you think about it. But, um, totally. But, yeah, but it was, it was clearly referencing some specific moment that he grew up and he saw and he, he the technology that was having. It almost felt like a, a video game or, like, something like Halo. Or, or, like, or like Linkin Park. Oh, like Lincoln Park, yeah, like Lincoln like Park. He's it's trying like, to capture that vibe, of and like, that's like the. And to me, like Lincoln Park was like the cheesiest thing happening totally. when I was a kid, and it was like, oh my god, all these songs are about I hate my dad, <laughs> whatever. Like right, it was like right. I'm gonna sing, and then yeah. I'm gonna, and but now it's like people look back at that era, and like that actually spoke to a certain moment, and like that aesthetic is like a very specific thing. Um, it, yeah, it was like almost like this. Uh, at the time, you don't appreciate it, and you're. Or you like you think you like cooler music or whatever, yeah. and you're like, I'm not into Lincoln Park. But um but uh but then in retrospect, like you're like, actually Lincoln Park was pretty cool. <laughs> like you hear those songs now and you're or, or even like Third Eye Blind, or there's like things right. where like at the time you weren't like totally feeling it. And now it comes on and you're in the grocery store, and like maybe that's just how nostalgia works. Like anything oh from a time in, a time in your life that you're just like, Oh yeah, this Third Eye Blind Third Eye Blind has some jams. In fact, that I like this song. I like that. I'm like, yeah, I Maybe I'll cover a third <laughs> song and or whatever. Like all this stuff kind of like comes back to you and you're like, eh, actually, this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. So yeah, there's like yeah, a, we can park. I've been seeing more and more memes lately on, on Twitter and stuff that have just been like, you know, when you're younger, wow, this bar is playing my favorite songs. Or no, it was like when you're younger, wow, the radio's playing all my favorite songs. You get older, wow, this bar is playing all my favorite songs. Now as you're older, you're just like, wow, this grocery store is playing all my favorite songs. Like, yeah, it's just like, this oh. Odie station is playing all my favorite songs. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, oh. the thing at brunch 
It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's you know, like, like, like the Smith says brunch music or whatever. Like, I mean, I, I know. It's, it's, it's like a funny thing how these things that were once trans, like transgressive or like only the coolest people would be listening to this shit is now like just like in Sephora, you know, it's totally. just like not. Don't get me wrong. I only know because like Payne's used to have some songs in Sephora. So I would like, right, like right. you know, they're playing higher than the stars in Sephora. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, right on. Totally. You know, that's we're smashing awesome. the state. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I love it. And, and, you know, that kind of stuff works. Like I, I have songs playing at, at every H&M right now. I've never walked inside nice. of an H&M, but like people are tagging me and like DMing me. Just heard your H&M like sick. Yeah, it's I don't great, know. man. I love it. That's cool. It's like, I don't know. I can't control it. Yeah, as I long found... as it's not like the... Go ahead. No, I found a lot of great music that way. I was at Target the other day. I heard a great song at Target. I was like, this is sick. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's kind of funny. Or it's even like kind of funny where like pop kind of catches up with... It knows how to trigger it. Like that moment that... I know it's like an old song, but when Kelly Clarkson's Since You've Been Gone came out... Oh, yeah. Everyone was like... Everyone was like, this is just as good as... Yeah, you know, it's like the kind of shit that we think is we're yeah. so, like certain people are like, oh yeah, I like the yeah yeah yeahs, I'm so cool, and then you like yeah. hear like since you've been gone, and you're like, this is just as good, man. <laughs> like, and it doesn't have to come from some underground world or like some like you have to be this cool, like you know, like I, I don't know. It's it's interesting to hear like um, sort of how how those songs can get into the mainstream really quickly, and it, it probably happens even faster in uh, like hip hop, like underground songs suddenly be- right. sounds suddenly become like just like in the kind of like in your cell phone commercial all of a sudden, like, you know, totally. it's like the stuff that you might've heard in like Memphis, Tennessee in like 2004, like the sickest club is now all of a sudden like selling, you know, like your prepaid, you know, like your, your, your like Virgin mobile cell phone. Right. Or whatever. Totally. It's, like, it's, it's able to like move so quickly into more, more, more uh, mainstream spaces. And you know, what's so crazy is that actually, they actually did admit Max Martin did admit he stole since you've been gone from the yeah, yeah, yes. Well, that's good. I'm glad he admitted like, he, it. I- he, he admits he was like, oh, these he he was basically saying that these indie bands, they write such good songs, but then they don't write great choruses. Like, you know, you know, your classic big commercial chorus. And so, yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. What if you took? Yeah, yeah, yeah. map, but gave it like a really great pop chorus. And that's basically what he did. And then basically ripped off that bridge. Dan, 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 dan. Like, it, it's literally the same fucking thing. But and I guess I know well, what he means. It's awesome. But, but the chorus for Maps is so good, and like it makes you feel shit. That since you've been gone, like is like such a fist pumper. But like the yeah yeah yeah's ones, like ah, oh, they don't love you like I love yeah, you. Yeah, I, oh. I don't need a big chorus That's a for that line. Song. Yeah. No, I, I think he might have been referencing the wrong song or something because like there's nothing wrong with Maps. So, like Maps right. delivers the hook. I mean, like the fact that you can say. They don't love you like I love you, and I just yeah. like hear it in my head like that's and you can feel that it. works like yeah. there might there's more like I think maybe just like the the energy the the sort of the rawness of like uh the the production of like those like early yeah yeah yeah's records right. and that fever to tell kind of era like t- kind of taking that energy and and putting it around a more uh, like a, a a more professionalized pop structure right. of like now here comes the chorus now here's like the second half of the chorus like it goes even like like bigger than the first half. Yeah, like there's yeah. like all sorts of like And then it modulates, you know? And, and then, then it modulates. The yeah, there's like a few like sort of like professional songwriter tricks that can take like your normal thing and take it to like yeah. um, the Disney soundtrack level of it. Uh, but I listen to a lot of Disney songs. As I said, I have like two small children. So I'm <laughs> yeah, always like yeah, listening yeah. to like 
like these like Disney soundtracks. Actually, the one I've been listening to all the time is My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Oh, cool. But it's like the songs from that. But my daughter recently discovered that there's like another series called Equestria Girls where they're like, the ponies are people. Oh, cool. And they're high school teenagers. And there's a kind of a lot of fucked up stuff about it, like how they're drawn. And it's kind of like, yeah, I, I try to tell her like she's five years old. I'm like, pe- human beings aren't that narrow. <laughs> You know, like, it's like you're, there's like different sizes of like, right. the idea of like, whatever. But like the the music is like almost uh, like a Roy Katy Perry kind of thing. It's like it's rooted right. more in contemporary. The, the the original series, the songs are a little bit more show to- show tuny and a little right. um, that style. But it's uh, the, the the high school shows where they have like kind of like Katy Perry style, like uh, teenage dream sounding songs. And totally. I, I played her. I played her Teenage Dream by Katy Perry. I'm like, if you like this. You might like yeah. Teenage Dream by Katy Perry. Did she? Did and she, she like it? To it? She's like, yeah, that's cool. It reminds me of the Person Pony song, the Person Pony <laughs> songs. But she could even identify that what I was referencing. It wasn't yeah. just like the whole My Little Pony thing. She was like, yeah, this reminds me of this kind of song. Which I was like, you're only five years old. That's really cool that you're even like able to hear musical elements of one thing and compare it to something else. Uh, yeah, this so sounds like I've this been, and reminds me of that. Yeah. So if you're asking me what what do you, what artists have you been listening to a lot lately, and I'd say like you know. The this the rain booms, you know, <laughs> yeah, whatever the My Little yeah, Pony. Yeah. They have like Battle of the Bands kind of things, where like some some group like has like sort of like the it's sort of like Gem in the Holograms, where there's like cool. the good girl group, and then there's like the misfit kind of girl group, where it's like and they're like competing with song and like the this bad group sings about how like bad they are, and it's actually kind of better than the good group <laughs> that sings about how good they are. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's usually how things go anyway. So you kind of always like Satan's always more interesting than uh, God. <laughs> as we've learned from the little Nas X video. Like it's better true, to it's like true. you're gonna have a lot more fun in the underworld. Um, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. And sometimes you know those shows commission these like old rockers, like like uh, Johnson. I was a big Loving Spoonful fan, and John Sebastian does like most of the music for Care Bears, like. So there's oh, excitement. You know, there. I love that. I don't know the Care Bears music, but I've been sort of stuck on. There was a Gummy Bears t- uh, TV show, and the theme song is like really infectious right. and uh, and it's really triumphant sounding. So like, yeah, you never know. Like when older people are just writing for film or TV and doing that kind of stuff, it might be like you know some dude from Weedus is writing all the pop yeah. punk like yeah. My Little Pony songs, like being like that's a good gig, man. Totally great gig. Like that's like Danny Elfman's life after Oingo Boingo just does scores and writes like random random jingles and themes. No, it's it's cool. Cause like you they're they're clearly really well written songs and they have to be yeah. really short too. So it's like you can't have like like a long it's like really a concise version of songwriting where everything's kind of like a minute and twenty seconds. So have you ever you have know, you, you ever get Tony Molina get, get Tony Molina on the My Little Pony soundtrack? He'd, he'd be perfect. Have you done? Have you have you done anything like that? Maybe not on a grand scale, but like maybe like a friend's pro, like art project or something like that. Uh, I'd I'd love I'd love to do that. You know, um, I Pains did get to do a tune for. Uh, it's not, is it called Teletubbies? What was that oh. show where it was like like there was uh it was, yeah it was like one of those shows I I think it was called Teletubbies. Yeah. Or no on no no it was, no no it was called um no not Teletubbies. What was that show that was like uh. Um, you know when you see it, it was like sort of like there was. It was kind of like a made for both children and very high adults at the same time. Oh, but we got to do like some song. They sent us a song to record. And it was about being happy, and like my mom heard. I was in the other room when I was recording it, and she was like, came in and she's like, "This doesn't really sound like your the kind of songs you write." 
It's like, everybody is happy, happy. Yeah. Every, I'm like, you know, well, that's because I didn't write it, but it's, it was cool to be a part of that. And I don't, oh. yeah, I definitely always Wait, be do down remember, to do, do anything like what, that. Do you remember what, uh, so was it for Nickelodeon? Was it for Disney? A Gabba, it was a Gabba, not Gabba Oh, Gabba, Yo Gabba Gabba? Yo, Yo Gabba Gabba. Yeah, that's what oh, it was. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, because Yo yeah. Gabba Gabba, I know that main dude is friends with a lot of musicians and he, you know, he's, he's, he's definitely dipping his feet in both worlds of like, child education but also making it access because you know they know the parents have to watch it too there has to be a little bit of something for the parents too you know to like grab onto oh definitely i definitely skew like my 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 children's like uh the screen time they have towards stuff that i want to watch too yeah like i'm always like hey do you want to watch this like stop motion animation kids show from england right. in the 1980s of yeah. course you do we're <laughs> we're watching postman pat and they're like can't we just watch like uh you know, Sesame Street is like, no, post my past, the good <laughs> shit. Yeah. <laughs> There's such oh, a but difference. yeah, it's like always like has a. I, do you notice like yeah, a big difference like in the child programming from the 80s and the stuff that maybe you grew up on versus stuff that they're they're growing up on? Yeah, man. I almost you can almost tell like uh, how quickly it's changing too, because you know I, I look at. Um, I usually don't like show them stuff from my own. I show them Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood from when oh, I was yeah. a kid. And that's Classic. like a, that's really interesting because of how slow the show is and Super how peaceful slow. it is, um, which I really like. Uh, and 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 children's programming now doesn't have that same pacing. Like right. even Sesame Street now is very um, segment A, segment B. Now it's Elmo's World. Now it's over. Mm. And uh, when I was when I was a kid, Sesame Street was just like maybe it was longer. It felt. It felt like it feels like Sesame Street has like gentrified in a weird way. Like if you look at old Sesame Street episodes, it resonates much more as an urban environment, uh, like an actual city block where people are just hanging out and yeah. not everything feels so. Uh, the pacing feels relaxed in a way. It'll just be people talking on the street and um, more like sort of psychedelic interludes, um, but. But the contemporary version of the show, it's, it's a wonderful show still, but I was reading an article about how because of the cuts to children's programming funding, they have to make their money from merchandising mm. and you can merchandise uh, toys of Muppets more than you can people. So right. people are kind of getting pushed out of the show and they have to kind of focus on what sells. So they're yeah. like the, the Elmofication of Sesame Street. I have no problem with Elmo. Elmo is great. Yeah. But it's like Elmo is now front and center it's like Elmo and this other show behind Elmo. Um, and it it does seem a little less. Uh, it seems like there is some market forces driving the content, even ostensibly in a show that shouldn't be about about that for kids. Totally. Um, so, like, yeah, the old Mr. Rogers is really cool. And the old Sesame Street, I think, is really cool. Um, but a lot of the old shows, I mean, it's like, honestly, people have come a long way in terms of diversity and representation. And even mm -hmm. shows made like eight years ago still right. don't feel contemporary. Like, honestly, it's like, uh, even shows from a few years ago, still you're like, wait, wh why is like all these ponies white? You know, it's like kind of right. like, like there's like just stuff where it's like, or why is like the one pony that's like, I don't know. It's like, there's like one pony that's a zebra and it's like, is other. And she lives in like the, this like forest that's like wild and savage right, but like right. the other ponies well it's like there's like stuff where you're like this was only five or six years ago when this was being made and now i think if someone was making that show people would be asking more questions like that right. like, who, who are the voices that are voicing these ponies it's like 
like, I, I know I'm, I know I'm talking about ponies, but it's more about representation and, and, and all kids being able to see themselves in these shows and um, just having a, a baseline of what uh, the entertainment is should look like the world that they grew up in and, and the people uh, of this world. So, I, I, I mean, I think, honestly, I don't get too nostalgic for the old shows because I, yeah. I actually think the new shows are going to be in a lot of ways, a lot, a lot better and a lot more representative and a lot more just like inclusive and cool. And like, even, even my little ponies, it, it seems like, I mean, I know it's definitely there. There's like some very subtle nods, nods to like non-heteronormative like behavior, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's never like no pony ever has a girlfriend who's mm-hmm. a girl or a boy. It's, or a boy. It's, like, it's never like, it's never just like out there in like a normal, cool way. And, uh, and I think when it was happening, it's just that, we've come a long way really quickly. And um, I'm sure if they're writing another generation of this, of these ponies, like, you know, it wouldn't be about trying to find their girl teacher, a boyfriend, like an episode. There's like just some stuff where right. it was just like these de facto assumptions, like that even a few years ago were very normal in, in our culture. Um, not saying they should be, but they, they were um, trying to kind of color these shows. I mean, even if you go back and look at like some shows like 30 rock and stuff like that, there's like, there's jokes and stuff where you're just like, Oh man, I don't, yeah. I don't, I mean, obviously like Liz Lemon's cool. Like don't get yeah, me wrong, totally. like Tina Fey's a genius, but like, I think even she would probably be writing it differently or like, or even who would right. be in the writing room. Like the cool thing about Atlanta is like the writing room is like an all black writer's room. And it's like, there's jokes in there that I don't get. And that's cool where it's like, they're writing like deep cuts of humor and stuff that, and no one in that room is being like, but will some guy in New Jersey who's a white man understand yeah. like, the sauce of this like restaurant, like a special wet sauce for your, right, your for wings, wings, like yeah. that might not be palatable. So we have to like explain it more, but they don't explain it. And I, I like that they don't explain it. And it, it allows like, you know, like jokes to just be written for their own sake and not right. with the consideration of like, uh, like ap- appealing to a viewership that is, is has different like cultural references. Yeah. And, and audiences aren't that dumb. Like, I don't eat I don't eat meat at all. I haven't eaten meat in like eleven years. But like when I heard, you know, the references to lemon pepper wet, I was like, Well, what is that? Well, let me go on yeah. YouTube. <laughs> oh, okay, there's a whole culture around, you know, strip club food and lemon pepper wet. It just said you know, many restaurants doing it and 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 doing it well and it's dry rub, it's wet, it's like there's lots of different I was like, Okay, there's a whole culture here that I no, have no idea about. Good. I don't know if you follow basketball at all, but during quarantine, like Lou Williams got in trouble because it was like everyone had to be on their best behavior. And that's, I'm not making light of people breaking quarantine right, kind right, of stuff right. and like putting people's. I'm not like, well, but literally, he went home for like, I mean, it was like a sad thing. I think it was like a funeral or something like that. Oh, no. But he like couldn't resist stopping at like his, like the strip club that had like the wings, like that were like, yeah, like yeah. whether it was like lemon pepper wet or something, like a very specialized type of wing that he mm-hmm. that was like so irresistible that he basically like might have put the entire endeavor of like, you know, <laughs> The whole continuing NBA. to play NBA yeah. at risk because it was like these, but they were really good. You know, you it's, know like, it's like, but that's where hey. I kind of heard about it too. It's like Atlanta. And then like, I was like, it, I connected it. And that's how you kind of learn about stuff too. It's not like I'm dumb. It's like, yeah, cause you're saying like, you don't eat me like, but like you can like, I'll figure it out. I'll get the reference. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's know, like, or continue watching yo, the Google. episode. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can figure it out. Like, I don't think they, I don't think, I don't know. And maybe that's just the kind of viewer I am, but, and maybe there aren't people who are just like, I don't get that reference. I don't get what this show's about. I'm not going to watch it, but it's like, then you don't want them watching your, your show. <laughs> like same thing. I don't get this. Exactly. Band. Then it becomes- like, yeah. 
it becomes like then like a, a like a standard network sitcom then it's like yeah. then it's like we have to make this so that the largest amount of people can get the most basic knowledge out of it and that's just like and those shows are done all those shows are dead they're done like who's watching sitcoms anymore they're so stale and and boring <laughs> yeah man they they are and i think there's like there is something about it where like young people I mean, like, I wasn't, like, watching Friends when it came out. I wasn't like, right. that's a great show. I got to watch Friends. But there is a generation that wasn't born yet that, like, kind of views it as kind of a weird kind of comfort food because, like, nothing right. bad happens in a weird way. Yeah, it's like, it's totally. like you can kind of have that on as, like, a way to sort of, like, well, I'll just put on Friends and nothing bad yeah. will happen. It's not almost yeah. like you're not seeing – you're almost like – you're, like, watching it as almost like a, 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 a balm more than like an actual, like, oh, I want to engage with this and like see what's going on here. But it's like funny though, too. Like I, I think about Atlanta and I think about like, like, you know, there's, there's characters that are recognizable in other shows too. It's like Darius is Kramer. You know, it's right. like, these are like, they are analogs. Like obviously it's different, but there is like, even if you think you're watching something super different, there's like, there, there are analogs where you can be like, wait a second, man. That's like the, that is the friend that's always like, yo, 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 yo. Yeah. Uh, don't don't sell that here. I can get you more money for that. I know a guy. Yeah. Like the, I know a guy. Yeah, guy. Very That's Kramer-esque. like a universal yeah. thing. What? Totally. So, uh, but yeah. I, like, but I, uh, but I'm still on. See, go on. Oh no, go ahead. Go go go. Say what you're gonna say. I didn't. I know. You go. You go. You go. <laughs> I was gonna say that the way people consume art now too is such a, in a completest, you know, full plate way where they don't remember. Like you know, you know, the office is so big. But people don't remember, like, there's a time people stopped watching The Office because it either wasn't good anymore or, like, Steve Carell left and it, what what are we doing here with this show? But people forgot that and now it's just, it's all good. Every season's awesome. It's like, it's not all good. And I'm like that with music. Like, I remember I just did an interview with KCRW and I was talking to them about Tim Buckley. They're like, how, do you, how did you fall in love with the later Tim Buckley? Like, no one talks about his, like, funk stuff. Well... I limewired all of his albums. Oh no, I torrented. It was past limewire. I torrented all of his albums. I absorbed everything at once. I didn't understand the context of of his folk sign, his folks, his folk period, the avant-garde jazz to the sex funk. Like I just thought it was all. I just absorbed it all in that way. And I think people do that a lot now with television as well, especially with The Office, because now the context is gone. Every season's awesome. Just put it on. Yeah, man, it's and it's kind of cool. Like, uh, it kind of, it's kind of the fantasy that I think a lot of these artists have used to have of like bypassing gatekeepers for better or for worse. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm the kind of person that like probably sympathizes to like record reviewers. Like that 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 mindset of the the person who sits there and evaluates the worth of the new record and like says all these things about it. Like, I I am that person on some level, okay. but I'm also understand how that person being taken out of the equation and people just getting music and making their own opinions uh, is awesome. I still like to find, I still like to go back and like read about like some albums or like sometimes when a, like a catalog is, I mean, you just like got it all and you're just like right. straight to the dome. But sometimes I'm like, okay, where do I start with fucking Yellow Magic Orchestra, man? Cause like, right. this is like, there's like a ton of stuff or like even like, yeah, like that, that dude that was, eventually was in it. He made some records before it. Like, which one's the, the quote unquote, right. where should I start? Like, I don't want to say the good one, but like, right, but there yeah. is like some stuff where it's still nice to have a little bit of editorial context uh, to, to what you're listening to and kind of learn the stories of the people making it. But I, I think it is the great dream of those artists that they would just be able to have their music, a future generation hearing it without like 
through the filter of uh, like whether it got a seven out of 10 or like a four yeah. out of 10 or like if it got good reviews at the time or not, like people can reappraise it and like understand it in its own terms. I think, I don't even know. I mean, I don't even listen to the style console, but I just remember as a kid, everyone's like, oh, the style right. console is not the jam. It's not good. But I bet you there's like kids now that will just like They're so listen good. to it and not be like, <laughs> oh, well, or what's that? Yeah, like the, the, yeah. The, yeah, it's like the context or like what's considered cool changes so much. Like. The idea if you told me when I was a kid that Enya would be cooler than the Pixies, right. it would have blown my mind. Or right. like in 20 years, you know what the music that you're listening to that's going to be considered important? The music that's playing at, at the like the Persian French cafe yeah. where you're having a scone with your mom before school. Like that 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 Save a Whale song that's playing, even though it's a Sail Away, but you thought it was Save yeah, a Whale. Yeah, totally. Like that's like, or another flow was just on repeat forever. And I was just like, man, this new age music, that's not cool. Nirvana and the Pixies are cool. But then in like 20 years, it's like, it's totally juxtaposed where you're like, you know what? Like the Pixies, like they, they did their thing and Nirvana was obviously like really important, but like right. Enya was the shit that was happening then that you really should have been paying attention to. Totally, like, totally. And uh, there's there's so many examples of that where it's like Cheryl, um, you know, Cheryl Crow is like more influential than, um, you know, like, uh, like, you know, like Nirvana, or not like Nirvana, but like there's like these people that were seen as sort of, sort of adult contemporary artists or like the um, like Natalie Merchant or these things that were like, and now we're like totally in vogue. Like you listen to like right. new artists, like so like Soccer Mommy and like, um, like even, um, uh, what's her name? Who like, did, uh, she's like really famous. Uh, uh, Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus had yeah. a song that sounded like, just like, like that, like Soak Up the Sun song. I was like, this is just like the sweetest 1995, like Sheryl Crow jam. And like, that's totally. not to take anything away from it. I was just like, She's referencing something that I like at the time was just like, uh, yeah, if you're like in your car with your parents and they put on their stuff, you're going to be listening to that. And then yeah. having a new generation come back and find inspiration from that. And like, that was cool. And maybe like, you know, Alice in Chains wasn't that cool in retrospect. I don't know. Like, it's like stuff that's like, yeah, I'm very mad yeah. all the time. Totally. Uh, kind of music. It's, 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 it's interesting to... Uh, it's interesting to see how those ideas flip around and like what's considered cool in the future. And even a lot of the music with my old band that I liked, like a lot of eighties, uh, like uh, Scottish and English, like sort of like post-punk, like indie pop stuff. Like those bands got the, like it's like, I, I know this cause I've like looked it up, but those bands got like literally made fun of every time they put out yeah. a record. It would just be like, Oh, fucking heavenly. They're so shambolic. They're worthless people. They don't rock right, like right. a real rock band. Like, all these bands and there's like a lot of politicization of that because it was like sort of more music made uh like there was like more like more women in that scene that and so it was kind of like this old kind of like rock critic was just like oh you're not like gang of four you're not real yeah. like kind of shit happening but but like now all those bands that i love yeah you just have to keep in mind that at the time when they came out everyone was like fuck these bands or like they're not important or like this isn't this isn't like you know the kind of music that really quote unquote matters but it matters to me. And like in retrospect, it was actually the cool shit that was going on. Not just like the 800th like group of dudes trying to be like Joy Division, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think the music review, at least for me and how I see the world and how to release music is kind of dying, if not gone. Like I, at least for me, when I discover new music, I just hit play and I make a decision for myself and either I don't like it or I like it or i don't like it and i like it later after a few more listens or there's something interesting oh that's kind of interesting that little riff or that little thing that carries me okay i'll, I'll try it again and then it, it latches on but i also find that music reviews are very good 
for young people who haven't made up their mind or maybe don't know what they like yet. Um, Pitchfork came in a weird time in my life where I was turning 18. I didn't know what I really liked. I was, I was, I liked Dr. Dog. Is there more music like that? I go on Pitchfork. Pitchfork hates Dr. Dog. Okay. <laughs> uh, where do we go from here? Okay. They they're, like, more cat, they're more cat power people. Totally. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's kind of <laughs> like, woof. <laughs> and I feel like that's what reviews are good for. Kids who are like 18, just finding indie rock or just finding hip hop. And they want to listen to Anthony Fantano and get his take. Me, at the age of 30, I don't need anyone's take. I know what I like, I know what I don't like, and I'm, I know what I want to be challenged by. So, and that's part... And there's a I couple put, writers. Yeah. yeah that, there's what, a couple I, writers that... I, yeah. There's, like, a couple writers that I'm, like... Like, for whatever reason, this uh, this woman, um, Quinn Moreland, who writes for Pitchfork, she kind of writes reviews of, like, records. Whenever she writes something, I check it out because, like, it's usually kind of stuff that's in... My current, like, what I'm into, it's sort of, like, singer-songwriter, like, a little, um, you know, like, folk folk rock, like, overlap. And, like, either new people or old people. But I'm always, like, I, I know her her taste, and I'm always just, like, yeah, if I see her name next to her review, I'll, I'll, like, I'll definitely, like, check yeah. that out. Um, which, in a way, it's, like, it's almost like I'm in, like, my second youth. Like, so you're saying, like, when you're a kid, you don't totally know what's cool yet. And it's, like, I remember, like, reading, like, a, in the Philadelphia Inquirer, like, it was two record reviews, like when I was like I don't know fourteen or something. It was like Papas Fritas and a uh, Yola Tango Electro Pura, mm. and it got they both got like kind of good reviews. I was like, and I was like, you know, at the UCD shop, and like, I found like a, a used version of like one of them, and I got the other one new CD or whatever, and um, I really enjoyed it. So it was like for me, it was like a sort of a pathway towards because I was only kind of familiar with like punk and hardcore, so I didn't really know what indie rock was. Like my friend gave me his pavement tape or whatever. Right. I was like, I, I don't know if I like this or not, but like when you're at that age, you just keep listening to it anyway. And then you get kind of a certain point where you don't need need the gatekeeping so much anymore. You kind of can trust yourself. But now I'm getting so old that maybe I need <laughs> I need the crutch again. I mean, I yeah. might need someone to be like, Put who's me in the my right young, cool friend? And I'm like, what's cool? Like, uh, um, and yeah, my, and yeah, it's my, my mom always writes me like she's like a real NPR mom. So it's like, cool. she's all, so I always try to get her like an album each year. I'm like, but she's like definitely on that. Uh, like Big Thief, kind of like that kind of mm. album is always like the the sweet sort of uh, indie folk, but like with like a sort of a hint of a, a bit more edge. malice underneath. Yeah, yeah. A little edge, yeah. It's like not like not like the super pristine stuff. Like, uh, totally. but it's always yeah. But like, like for her, like I'm her like conduit to like what's c- cool. And like for me, it's like I don't know. Now like some you need someone friends, even like, younger hey, than you. Man. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hey man. Uh, <laughs> So, can you show me something I can like, show we, to my mom? <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, it's like, exactly. It's like this, like this, like this circle. But I mean, that's ultimately the greatest kind of, I mean, record reviews are just stand-ins for having cool friends. Because when if you, right. have, if you have friends or like older sister, or older brother, or like something like that, like that, they're always kind of, like I remember in high school, like again, like I didn't know a ton about punk rock, but like my friends would just always like take me to like, go see Converge or whatever. And I'd be like, this is scary. I guess it's good. <laughs> like, it's right. like, it's like, this is a good version of, I think you can kind of start to evaluate. It. It's like, this version of scary is a good version of scary. Like I can tell <laughs> like, like that when they're, um, when they're just screaming dead over and over and again, I think it's about how they feel dead inside. Like it's like, it's yes. like a, an expression of the inner pain, not like a desire to kill, but like more of about like how, like how they, how hurt. they feel. Yeah. Um, but how they feel. So in a way, like I can relate to this, 
this this in some way. Um, but yeah, like I kind of needed my own like like hand holding through like some of those shows of like uh, you know that that punk and hardcore and emo world too. So like yeah, and then getting into like indie music, yeah, it's like you just kind of uh, you do kind of when you start having the internet, you you can get so much so fast that it's nice to sometimes have uh, not like a filter, but someone kind of pointing you in the right direction at least. Yeah, totally. Cool. So we've been talking for an hour. Let's talk about the record. Let's sell this record, baby. How do we sell this record? Uh, when did when? So you said you wrote it for three years, but you recorded it in seven days. Like, what was the recording process? No, no. I like? mean, I didn't. I didn't write it for three years. I just like oh. it's like so funny. So like uh, when when I in 2016 I moved to Princeton and I recorded the last record for my old band, The Pains of Pink Pier at Heart, in like January, and my daughter was born in April. And then I moved to Princeton. So I didn't even put out that Pains record for about a year and a half mm. because I was uh, just home with her, looking after her. My wife works and uh, we had a good time. We walked around Princeton a lot. I spilled coffee a lot, but not on her, just on myself. Right. Um, and uh, it was cool. And it was sort of like 2017. It went out. We did a little touring. Then I recorded an EP of songs uh, after one of those tours and kind of like the last Pains tour. My, my friend had a little studio space. And he invited me over, my friend Andy Savers. And he was like, a, he recorded the pain stuff too. And he's like, you got some new songs? I'm like, yeah, I got some new songs. Like, how are we going to record them? Should we get some drums and like what what tempo or whatever? He's just like, here's a guitar. Here's an amp. I'd like you to sing your song and play them. <laughs> it's sort of like, just do that. We'll push record. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll go, we'll go, we'll go. Yeah. And then that's we'll build it. build around like, that. Yeah. Well, that's, but, it was, but then I was like, yeah, we'll build around that. And then I just did it. He's like, okay, you're done now. I was oh. like, that was just me guitar and singing and there's no like other stuff on it he's like yeah it's, it's pretty cool right and i was yeah. like i guess like oh, like sort of like i, I never re- thought of making music that way because like with with my old band there's always this sort of expectation of like uh not like more but like always all right now we're gonna like overdub a guitar part and then put a keyboard part on it and try to like make it big sounding big, and, big, and big, this was yeah. just literally the sound of me singing and playing guitar at the same time so then when we did the record together uh, in 2018, um, we basically just kind of did that, but with like some drums and bass on it too. We were all kind of playing live together. And I'd never really recorded that way myself before. Yeah. It was always like on a, on a metronome and like you do the drums and you do the bass. But by doing it live, it had a lot of um, sort of human imperfection on it, uh, but in a good way. It was just sort of maybe the song sped up a little or slowed down. I don't right. know. But like they, natural... they had a good feel to it. and. Yeah, it was like yeah. a, just like a it, it connected with like the human beings making it. Mm. And it was also a lot faster that way, too. Like, I, I, I mean, you're a musician. I, I saw right. you playing live and it seems like you play with some pretty crack musicians. So <laughs> it's like maybe you guys can like knock it off all like one take, like smash it out. Like really we didn't fast. do it but that like, way. No way. For me, like, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was like it was like kind of faster, too. I had I, I have two small children. Um, when I'm done here, I'm going to go pick them up from preschool and uh yeah, so I didn't have a lot of time. We just tried to record as many songs as quickly as possible all together in a room. And that was basically the album. And uh, but then like, oh, it was like 2018. And like my second son was born, like the day I came home, finished the record. Like he came a little early. So I was like uh, driving home from New York late at night, you know, uh, you know, eating French fries from McDonald's at like two in the morning and then driving a little more. It's, I'm about, right, it's like, right. just didn't want to fall asleep. Right. Then, then the next day, my, my, my wife's like, I think it's time. I'm like, well, he's not due to like another couple of weeks, but he was coming. So we went to the wow. hospital, we had a baby. And then so kind of had to shelve the music for a bit. Oh, and then okay. when I was finally 
then I got it done, got the record done, got the art done. It was going to come out. And then, uh, oh, yeah, uh, the pandemic happened. So that was um, obviously bigger concerns in the world than just simply some dude's indie rock record not coming out uh, and being able to tour. But then we had to put it away for another year or so. And now it's coming out uh, in uh, now. But uh, yeah, so it's it's been a long time. April 2nd. uh 2021 so i don't know if this is airing later if this is live but uh, i might miss it but i can maybe try and squeeze it in the same week if you want. it's okay like okay (laughs) just so you know it's when we're talking it's this week but if you post it up later it would it came out on on april 2nd but you can still get it all right uh, on your uh, whatever internet uh places you buy stuff or your local record store or like uh you know stream it or whatever do whatever you want um so yeah, it like took a really long time to get it out there, but it didn't take a really long time to make. It wasn't like I was like laboring over it this whole time. Totally. I was just kind of like waiting. But waiting, everyone's yeah. kind of been everyone's kind of been in that situation for for a bit. And uh, between you know babies and global pandemics, uh, I've right. I've, been, I've been busy. So um, so I'm I'm excited that it's finally. You know, it's funny. My my kid was like when I was recording, it was like born and then. He's like two and a half years old now. My daughter's five. You know, wow. I've, I've, I've lived in Princeton like five years, and 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 the record's finally coming out there in the world. So uh, it's 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 cool. I'm, I'm That's amazing. For it. And and so, so there's a lot of different learning. I guess pains was always you know to a click, and now it's live. Uh, uh, you had to hold on to this record. You had to kind of prolong the pains record. It sounds like too. Yeah, so I was just kind of used to like the living without the gratification of. Uh, yeah getting it out there as soon as you can and it's even now like i was i was talking like i don't know what you know but like it seems like touring and playing shows and stuff like that inside probably yeah. isn't going to happen until next year you know so yeah it's going to be even another year of uh kind of waiting around before i can really share these songs with people but uh in in the live setting at least so um I would say I've had a lot of practice, you know, like no, waiting like, around. So it's it, hopefully like one more year isn't going to kill me. And, uh, you know, I still, I'll still have some hair in my head and, uh, yeah. my, I won't, I won't be like too old man. Like, <laughs> Oh, my back's too sore no, to, rock. No. to rock. Like, I, like <laughs> I know it's like, it's like, I like, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like, I, hopefully I'll still be able to rock. Yeah, <laughs> no, the, I, I'm sure you'll still be able to rock. Done. No, I'm, I'm hearing October. <laughs> if, if I ever could rock, if I ever could rock. <laughs> I'm hearing, I'm hearing October. I'm hearing if you if you can't play like at least a local show in your area by October, then early 2022. That's at least what I'm hearing, and maybe like a small thing, yeah, man, like a small little run, you know. I think some outdoor stuff's gonna be possible outside. In fact, I'm even doing an outdoor thing this Sunday. Oh, really? Uh, it's like uh, in New York. There's like yeah, outdoor thing. It's like my the guy that puts out my records, uh, Canine Records. Like that guy works at a brewery. And they're mm. having a little, it's like, I don't know if it's even, it might even be just like open mic night, but he invited me down to play some songs cool. Sunday afternoon. He's putting out a little concert and like people wear masks to be outside. I, I think like if people are outside and wearing masks, that's like a pretty safe thing. And, you know, I, I think that's a, I'm bringing my kids like it's a, it'll be fun for them to more, see what I do. And more and more uh, but, people are getting yeah. vaccinated now. I mean, I got my, yeah, it's like everyone's, uh, it depends where you live and access right, you have yes. and in your career. But like, yeah, it's like. A lot of people I know have been vaccinated already, and um, I'm, I, I, I hope to be soon. So yeah, uh, it's all all that stuff's really important. And uh, yeah, what you're saying, there might be like little things, but even when things resume, there's going to be a backlog of bands that had all their stuff canceled right. that probably have first dibs on it too. So even right. if it's like 
all right, we can open up some venues. Well, a lot of the venues didn't survive, which is sad. Right. So there's like less places to even play. And then all those people that had stuff that was booked already that got canceled, they probably have first dibs on it. So even the timeline of actually being able to like, you know, play out is going to be kind of contingent on both the health and then like letting everyone who had, you know, wait your turn. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> like I feel like I'm talking to my kindergarten kids like, like, all right, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's his turn now, you had your turn, but, it, but now it's, it's, it's not my turn yet. It's, you know, the band that was supposed to go on tour last summer's turn right, or whatever. Right. But, uh, but in the great scheme of things, like I, I don't want to be on the side of people uh, complaining about like uh, indie rock plans being, um, being hampered a bit because everyone's experiencing this. Everyone's going through this. Everyone's right. uh, had their lives affected by it in some way. And I'm, I'm just kind of worried that there's going to be a whole year of artists like pretending like they were the only ones who suffered, you know, being like, you know, right. it was so hard was when like I was going to put out my record, but then I couldn't do it. Yeah. And I had yeah, to yeah. wait. And that's really painful. And I was like, come on, dude, like everyone's affected. And like, at least if you're making records and, and like the people that like really are affected, the ones that work in the venues themselves, like if you're doing sound, like bartending right. or whatever, like, that's where it hits hard. Like if you're like making music, you can, you can still write songs in your house. You can still do some live stream stuff. You can still do yeah. some, make some open air stuff. Like it's, it's, I mean, obviously would it be nice if there wasn't a cataclysmic um, pandemic that like killed lots of people and like ground our life as we know to halt. Right. Like, yes. But like the effect on indie rock bands is like, I mean, it's like I'll 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 wait in line to complain. <laughs> There's a lot of people who totally. have a lot more There's to complain about. There's a lot of people ahead of like, us to complain. Yeah, yeah, and, like people. Obviously, it's like this is like a life or death thing, and I'm I'm alive, so like that's right. kind of the most important thing. Yeah, that's definitely the uh, the most important thing to me is that you know I only know two people who got the virus. Uh, my my immediate family, we didn't get it. Like it seems like we're, we're if we if we could just save the course, we survived this thing. Um, then that's, that's very good. And, uh, yeah, I get my second shot on Wednesday. Uh, what else is, what nice. else have I, how, what else have I been hearing? Uh, there's going to be a big emphasis that like when venues do open up again, that they need to have sellout shows. And I don't know if I want to be put into that pressure of like, Hey, we booked Dante <laughs> and, uh, they didn't bring anyone. Like, uh, the joke with indie pop is like, we've been social distancing shows forever, man. <laughs> like we're used to it. It's like, all right. 18 people in a like a hundred cap venue, we're fine. We can we're space fine. it out. That's like classic pains, you know. But, yeah, yeah. It's like, like one of those things. Like, I think there's so many times when uh, I, this is like sort of like self-effacing. I shouldn't say, it, but like uh, people would come to our shows sometimes, or like, uh, and they'd always like be like. I thought there'd be more people here. Or something. Oh, like, that's like, the worst. Outside, they don't. They don't. They think because maybe like we got a lot of like online like attention or something like that, or like there was like a kind of well-known name, but like yeah. like you know, I just remember like being in Glasgow and there was like there's an exchange student from Japan like who thought like Pains must have been like the hugest band in the world, and he came to a show and it was kind of like you know like three quarters full, like there, you know, yeah, there was yeah, like, yeah. I would have thought, I thought there was going to be more people here. <laughs> and it's like, it's always like that thing where it's like, no, it's kind of, but this is good for us. Like we were yeah, like, we, is, were, we yeah. were disappointed. We're like, yeah, it's like pretty full. It doesn't, <laughs> look, it doesn't look too sad. You know, people come close to the stage. Like you can't see back, that far back anyway with lights in your face. Like, oh it's fine. Like, it's from our awesome. point of view, we feel good. In our scene, we're like the Rolling Stones. Like, so like, like in, in the world of indie pop, like, like we're doing really well, so don't <laughs> totally. don't, don't feel bad for us. <laughs> oh uh, hell yeah, dude, that's amazing. Well, I'll let you go. Uh, get ready. 
take pick up your kids dude thank you so much for talking your album comes out uh uh april 2nd canine records uh what's the best way for people to support you your band pains of being pure at heart your new project what's the best way oh man just uh buy stuff off the internet from us if you want but if you, you know like it's like you're supporting someone man like if you like go down to your local record store and buy it like that's helping them man it's like that's like those those are important people that need to be supported too so like this whole idea right. of like no i want i want 100 of the money from where i go because it's like you know it's like there's a lot of people that work in music whether they work in distros or like venues or whatever man just if if you can buy it buy it from someone i don't even care like you don't have to like buy it from me just like if you exchange money for it it'll go towards someone's electricity bill and keeping right. things going um but uh i don't i don't I'm not. I'm not a charity case. You know, I'll. I'll. I'll be okay either way. So what you're saying is no guest oh, list. No guest list when shows no, come back. No, no, man. I, see, I saw this thing where it was like, I saw like no guest list. Don't go to shows at like corporate venues. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I love. I love all that. But I was like, dude, anyone that's working right now in music, like, like whether you're working at a concession stand at Madison Square Garden for like. Like, you know, the Kings of Leon show or whatever. Right. Like it's all that stuff is still important. Like that's all someone's job. And don't mm -hmm. and don't and don't make value or you can make value judgments. Of course, it's like supporting like local DIY arts communities is like really important. But this idea that like people's like value in society is less if they like their job is working at this kind of venue versus someone's job who's working at that kind of venue. I think support what you can support. But like, right. man, I also realize like people are kind of broke right now. So it's like if you have to ask to be on the guest list, like, man, like. I don't care, man. Like, yeah. I, I just want people to get out there and play and not finger wag at people. Everyone's trying to do the best they can. Everyone's trying right. to, like, support music the best they can. Not everyone has, like, $30 to buy a vinyl record from, like, you know, it's like all that shit's expensive now. This whole idea is, like, buy vinyl from your indie retailer. It's like, yeah, like, but, like, I remember when I was a kid, like, you could buy a bunch of records for, like, 20 bucks. Like, right. Or you could get a lot of things or use stuff. And now everything, like, vinyl is, like, really expensive and it kind of, limits the kind of people that can interact with that and like collect mm. records. Like the idea of buying 10, like, like if a record collection, like let's say your record collection is 10 records, but if you buy them new, that's like basically $300. So it's right. like, I don't know, man, like I love vinyl. Like, I think it's cool. I'm all about it. But like, man, even if you like pirate my shit off, like LimeWire, like, I don't care. <laughs> like just as long as you're enjoying music and yeah. you're like part of this world in whatever way you want to be, that's all that matters to me. Hell yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much, man. And uh, have a good day. I'll talk to you soon. P Peace, Dante. Thank you so much. See ya.